0: I uh, I don't know what your rules are around Happy New Year. Seven days in for me anyway. This is the last day you can say Happy New Year. I don't know what your rules are. So Happy New Year, everybody! If haven't seen you or haven't uh, um, welcomed this new year in with you. Um, uh, yeah, it's been exciting couple of weeks. Christmas is gone. What, what I didn't do, Nev, brought everybody up to talk about what people got for Christmas. I didn't. Nobody. I didn't tell anybody what I got for Judith. Um, one day I took Judith out to out the orchard, and for half an hour we sat and look at, look, looked at the trees. It was not the Apple Watch she was expecting. Thank you. Good <laughs> man. No, <laughs> All right. <laughs> They will look at you in case you got excited that I actually did get her something and <laughs> I had been keeping it a secret for the last two weeks. Uh, anybody on this key? It was out in the. It was out in the, bar area. Yeah. It's. Uh, I don't know what that. I was going to name the, car manufacturer, but I'm rubbish with cars. I only knew the colour of cars, and I couldn't tell by the key. So, um, the first Sunday... the. First Sunday of the new year, um, and as I mentioned last week, if you were here last week, uh, really keen, felt really, and even what we sang today, and, and some of what Jackie shared, and even what the, the verses that David was reading there. Uh, if we're going to, if we're going to know him, if we're going to encounter him, I just think we need to be familiar with what he said, because what what he said, uh, it reveals, uh, it just reveals who he is. Um, Jesus reveals who he is, what he's about, what he's calling us to And, and, um, and so i so really stirred this morning just by the, over the next number of months um, I imagine all of 2024 will just be looking at the red letters um, For some of you, uh, you might not know what I'm talking about But there's some of you maybe in your Bibles You have a certain version of the Bible The letters of Jesus in the New Testament will be in red and uh, and so that's just, that's just what I want what I want to do, uh, give myself a lot of leeway, haven't I? Like, um, over over our midweeks, David has said we're going to look at Romans. We'll narrow in a wee bit um, in Romans, but on our Sunday mornings, we're just going to take an, an overview of what Jesus said, as we really seek to know Him, as really seek to uh, encounter Him, um, as we really seek to take His words seriously. I think that's. That's the that's the, the wrestle, that's the challenge for me as I as I just reflect. I talked a wee bit last week of my own reflections come to the end of the year and um just really keen that I just take what Jesus said seriously. I become almost over familiar with the gospels, we become o- over familiar with the, the story of Christmas with the incarnation, we can become so familiar, over familiar with it all that we that we miss the power of what he said. We miss the importance of taking his words seriously, and so I don't know. There's people that are better at, at this than me, but um, I think a red letter faith or red letter, um, whatever is what, maybe the series title. If you want, if you want, if that's important to us, red letter faith, taking the words of Jesus seriously. Um, and if we go right back into into the, into the New Testament, if we go right back into when Jesus moved among people into all the villages and all the towns and call people to follow him, call people this completely counter-cultural way of living, then and now, following Jesus has never been easy. Um, And so if the start of a new year, if you're looking at a nice, soft, easy message, I don't think you're going to get it this morning because I'm wanting to recognize, I think I need it for myself. I hope I'm not projecting this on everybody else, but I, I'm, I need to remember the following Jesus has never been easy. That to truly take his word seriously, to truly obey the red letters in the, the Gospels, uh, there's a cost involved. Like Jesus never, he, he never backed away from the reality that there was going to be a cost, There's going to be a price to pay. That if you're going to truly follow him, it was going to mean taking up your cross, it was going to mean sacrificing a lot, taking up your cross and denying yourself and following him. And so what we're going to do over the next number of weeks, like this is, this is going to be as difficult for me as it is for you because we're going to take the red, if we're going to take the red letter, red, red letter seriously, then we're going to have to really wrestle with what it means to love our enemies. And we're going to have to really wrestle with what it means to t- turn the other cheek. It means having to reconsider fasting. Um, it means uh, not storing treasure for yourself here. Oh man, I don't want to do the talking that. Who wants that one? Um, We're we'll gonna take it seriously. We're we'll gonna have to recognize the cost. And it, I want this to, I want this to be mean more for us. Just gathering here in the four walls. If what we, if taking the words of Jesus seriously, it, it can't just impact us here. It has to impact the the world that we're all living in, and our culture, our culture. I think it's not. I don't think it's a controversial statement to sit to say that our culture has become increasingly post-Christian. Um, it, and it's possibly becoming, uh, more difficult because of that, as people walk away from church. In fact, I know this is a this is a surveys that have been done in the states. Over the last number of years, and the fastest growing religious group, if you can call it that, um, in the states is the nuns, not the n u n s, but the not like just who who have who affiliate with no religion. They are increasingly the fastest growing religion, and if you see some of the smaller surveys that have been done in the UK and even here across this island, that is that's that same reality is beginning to to out here. That the fastest growing religions religious group are the nuns, people who recognize who are affiliated with no, with no religion, and um, it's just is challenging, and I want to be careful what I say, because sometimes within that context, where people have begun began to walk away from church, they no longer recognize the Bible as any sort of authority. That makes that makes maybe what we have to say or some of what we do even more difficult. But in the context of people walking away, it has led some, it has led some uh, Christians to cry persecution. It has led some Christians to take on the posture of victims. And I just don't think that that's right. And I, I want to make sure you hear him say, I know that there is parts of our world. I'm not denying in any way that there is parts of our world where there is genuine pain, where there's genuine persecution. But I'm, I'm considering our context. I'm considering what's going on within our culture. And I just think too often the church and too often Christians have cried persecution and too often they've taken the posture of, the, of victim. And I just wonder if there's, a, as we engage with the red letters of Jesus, as we engage specifically over the next couple of weeks with the Sermon on the Mount, um, what if, so this is the question I've been asking, what if, culture's judgment of Christians isn't the result of obeying Jesus but the result of ignoring him of not taking the red letter seriously because I think we hear people cry persecution and we hear people taking the posture of victim but it's not because they've been obeying the words of Jesus it's sometimes I'm not going to be really cautious here I don't want to upset or offend uh, but I do think that, that the culture's judgement of us at times is because we haven't taken the words of Jesus seriously enough. Because if we were known for loving our enemies, if we were known for uh, turning the other cheek, if we were known for all of those other things that we're going to talk about that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, I think culture's judgement of us would be a lot different. I think I'm stirred by all of this because I am pained, I am grieved by the level of polarisation that is in our communities, is in our is in our world. The ongoing divisive nature that creates this us versus them mentality is is really really painful. I find it so painful, and it's not that I'm saying that we need to be there's there's that we need to be silent, that we need to that we need to be quiet, but I think that we need to engage. From a place of love and a place of compassion, and again, I want to be cautious because I know there's Christians that will Christians that that cry persecution that take on the posture of victim that will say that will try to convince people that they are coming from a place of love and compassion. I'm not so sure, um, and I'm wanting to challenge myself and us: where our engagement uh, is it coming from a place of love and? Compassion, and I think what that what the scripture offers us is is the red letters of Jesus to help us do this better. As we're going to spend some time looking at the red letters in, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, because I am convinced. If, I hope I'm not sounding too negative, but I am because I am convinced that our society, that your neighbours that the places, your workplaces, that our society, our neighbours, our colleagues, they are hungry, they are hungry, desperate for the kind of integrity, the kind of gentleness, the kind of love that Jesus reveals in his most famous, his most important sermon, his most complete sermon that he gives in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And so I'm convinced that this is important. Before I, before we rush into this, uh, I think we're going to be here for the next number of weeks, um, as I've said. But I just want to, just in case, I want to convince you that uh, why why does it matter what Jesus said? Um, as I look around the room, I'm convinced that um, I'm speaking to the choir, but. As I think of how we then will take, hopefully, what we're talking about here in our workplaces, our communities, um, I think it's important that we know are able to communicate. Like Peter talks about, give an answer for the hope that you have. Sometimes uh, we we find it hard to articulate. Find it hard to articulate the hope that we have. How I find it maybe hard to articulate. Why does it matter what Jesus said? What is it about Jesus that is so, so important? So as we think about our own lives, as we think about the people that you will come, ac- come across, there is experts that we are all going to trust. Who is the, when it, so when it comes to life, when it comes to everyday life, when it comes to the plans and purposes for your life, who is the expert that you're going to trust? And, um, and so there's all sorts of trains of thought I could go down here. But I... I think we all, I imagine, we all like to think that we are independent thinkers. Um, I certainly like to think that I'm an independent thinker, but the reality is, we all, we are all dependent on authorities for where we get our information. We're all dependent on authorities. And we come to trust those authorities, and we have reasons for why. We trust those authorities. So I just want to make sure. Maybe this is really basic, but I just want to make sure that we we know that Jesus can be trusted, that He is an authority, He is one who we can trust, and there is good reasons for why we can trust Him. And I just think we need to be, we need to be, we need to be careful because there's so many other experts out there. I, in some ways, reluctant to go down this line, but think of because I almost forget that COVID happened, but some of the experts that people listened to, some of the, the people that people began to trust in over COVID was just frightening to me, like, honestly. <laughs> the independent thinkers like to think that they, some some nutcase on YouTube knew more than people that had studied medicine for the last number of years. I didn't want to say it, but I went there. Um, but I, I wanted to show this clip, but this is probably a stupid clip. Um, is that all right, Eva? Uh, here, here's here's one clip that I was just thinking about last night, and this actually this morning. Um, this could fall flat, this example, but just in in regards to being careful of who you listen to, being careful of who you give authority to. You don't have any other choice. Silly example, but be careful who it is that you are trusting. Who. Who is the experts that you are listening to? And what reasons do you have for giving whoever it is, whatever way of thinking, whatever, that level of trust? And so I, I know for many of, of you, what Jesus says do, does matter. But I think it, some of that, is, as silly as an example as that is, I think it is helpful in our conversations with people within our lives. That have, that have made their decision to, to, to trust a certain authority or follow the line of, the, of, of certain experts. And I think it's worth asking some questions. Why? Why have, why have you given that? Why have you given them your authority? Why have you pl- pl- placed your trust in that expert? And then just beginning to offer the expert <laughs> that is Jesus, beginning to offer the who that you trust in and the why that you trust the reason for your trust, the reason for the hope that you have. This was, this was ma- massive for these disciples, these, these crowds of people, these, these 12 men even in particular, that Jesus was sitting with, that Jesus had called to follow him, that he, had, that he invited them uh, for him to be the authority in their life, for him to be, the expert that they would follow, and we're, whenever we're introduced to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five, we see that Jesus had brought these disciples. Um, chapter four of Matthew uh, introduces us to, to the disciples that Jesus began to, began to call, and uh, there were so many people began to hear and began to witness what Jesus was doing. And Matthew five verse one tells us they went up the mountain. And they sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And here were here were were a group of people, here were a group of men that this was a really big deal. I know it is a big deal for all of us to 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 repent, to turn our lives around and to follow, to follow Jesus. These guys had believed for for years. They grew up in this monotheistic faith that there was only one God, and then there was here comes. Like almost like a contemporary, in some ways a peer, someone that they had grew up with, that they had watched growing up, who was now claiming these, who was now making these staggering claims. It was a that must have been a, a really big deal for these disciples to to say actually, we're gonna we're gonna place we're gonna give him our affection our devotion, we're gonna place him as the authority in our life. We believe that he is the expert that we need to. We, we need to follow. The claims that he made were staggering. I and the Father are one, he, he told them. Completely, this completely, like went, rubbed against all of that they had known, all that they had grown up with. He said in Matthew 11 that no one, no one knows the Father except me. Like these, these guys would have grown up knowing the story of, of Moses and Abraham and Joseph and David, and here's, here's Jesus. Son of Mary and Joseph, he's coming to say no one, no one knows the Father except me. There is reasons that Jesus is trying to say that I have all authority has been given to me, Jesus said in Matthew 28. And so whenever we come to think of the why, there is, there's probably loads of reasons we could think about. Whenever Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks... Um, the, the response of the crowd is, is interesting. Here's a group of, like a, a scattering of, of normal, ordinary people just trying to figure out life, I would say much like many of us are. And at the end of Jesus' teaching, and at the end of this most famous, most complete, most significant sermon, when he'd finished saying all of the things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as anyone else that had ever heard. And so his authority was unprecedented. If he needed to keep going, if there's other reasons, he needed to keep talking about his, li- his, his blameless life, the reason why we can trust him, because not only was his, his authority unprecedented, but his life was blameless. His life was blameless, he was perfect. Without sin, his ability to heal and to drive out demons. If we were to read the first few chapters of Matthew, chap- of Matthew's Gospel, we'll see that he went around healing, healing the sick, binding the, up the brokenhearted, driving out demons. Uh, his ability to heal and drive out demons is that I think is reason to trust him. And as we as now already seen. In, seen in Tesco's that there's many eggs already out on the shelves. As we make our way towards Easter, um, probably the most significant, the the biggest claim of all for why he his, why he can be trusted, why his authority is unprecedented that he rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. So there is many reasons that he can be trusted. And I think if we can engage to engage people in that level, if we can be convinced of that ourselves, we can refresh <laughs> ourselves with this with the reality that he can be trusted well if that's the case then the words need to be taken seriously we are saying that he can be trusted if we're saying that he is the expert in life that we are placing that he is sole authority then we really need to take his words seriously and when we take his words seriously in the same way that it did back when he spoke it they are still the same uh, Countercultural, it, it turns everything that you've ever believed, everything you've ever thought, everything that they believed, and everything that they would ever thought. It turns it on its head completely, and we begin to 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 settle down into this, into the beatitudes of with all of the with all of the different people, all of the different people groups that we're about. Um, we could think of the scribes, and the scribes were convinced that the kingdom was ne- was not coming. There was no chance of the kingdom coming. And so, whatever, so Jesus came, in Matthew four he says, "Repent, like turn, like commonest, this, this complete about turn with me, because the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand. Repent, turn, believe." Um, but the scribes, they were they were convinced that the kingdom wasn't coming because of because of a lack of faithfulness to Torah. So they continued to stand in the street corners pronouncing judgment, and lack of compassion, lack of love and gentleness. But probably still cried persecution and took on the posture of a victim. Well, you had the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were ones actually that ended up just trying to cooperate with the superpower. So if you want to think of a, again, I hope I'm not upsetting anybody, but if you want to think of this type of people that the Sadducees were, I think of people, they put on the MAGA hats in the states, they were sort of make America great again, cooperating with power, cooperating with empire in order to see the kingdom come, that's what the Sadducees were like. If you want to think of the zealots, the zealots were those that were just like freedom, religious freedom fighters. They were just ready to take the sword and do whatever needed to be to be done to fight, we see that a bit in Peter at the tomb. and. Uh, in other places, or you have the Essenes. The Essenes are those that withdrew. They, they withdrew to the desert in order to wait, in order to contemplate. Um, but I think that the crowd that was gathered around it, the crowd that was gathered around to listen into this most famous, complete, significant sermon were just normal people. Just normal, everyday people trying to figure out their lives as best as they could. And it was it was with this group of people that, that, that Jesus was saying, God's kingdom is here. It has come. And it, it's gonna begin with it's gonna begin with you. It's gonna begin with you normal people, figuring this out, working this out um, together. And he's able to say that as you do that, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And I and I almost think prophetically that is that is why this is so so I'm so stirred by this, because I feel like we, as we work this out together, I, f- I feel like we're almost in the same similar sort of boat, I, I know there's lots of, there's hundreds of differences, but I think there's something similar as we engage with this, I think together we're just normal people trying to figure this out as best we can, recognising that the kingdom has come, and hopefully you know, hopefully you will be convinced that it begins with you begins with the hurting, it begins with the poor, it begins with begins with the desperate, it begins with the needy. That's who it began with. And we see that as we as Jesus begins his sermon, blessed, are the poor in spirit. And I'd encourage you that uh, maybe take fifteen or twenty minutes. Obviously read all, all of Matthew's gospel. Just hear. Even if you want to, even if you just want to stick it on a on a what do you call it? Something that you listen to, flip me. Audio, Wendy, thank you. Where's the chocolate bar for Wendy? <laughs> uh, stick in audio and just listen. Just sit and listen to this sermon that Jesus pre- preached. Listen to Matthew 5, 6 and 7. Or read it, whatever whatever is your, whatever is your preference. Um, but let me, as I'm assuming that most of you will do that. I want to read um, Brian Zand's version of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve, for they create space to encounter comfort from one another. Blessed are the gentle and trusting, who aren't grasping and clutching. For God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For when the government of God, for them the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who give mercy. For they will have it back when they need it most. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul for they will perceive God when and where others don't. Blessed are the Bill Bridgers in a war-torn world. They are God's children working in the family business. And blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. These are not just nice little sayings or empty Platitudes, these are announcements. The Beatitudes, these are announcements that, of what the kingdom of God looks like. They're announcements of what the rule and the reign of God breaking in is like. And so, as we, uh, as we take this on into the new year, I think, like the people, the crowd that sat and listened to this incredible sermon, we, as normal people, we're going to figure this out as best we can with lots of questions, but convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. Convinced that Jesus is one that we're worth putting all our trust in. Convinced he is the authority that we're going to, because he is our authority, we're going to take his words seriously and recognize that he is worth giving up everything for. And I, and I, and I, that rolls off the tongue almost quite easily, but that is a, that is a huge that is a huge challenge, and, uh, and part of me actually all of me hopes that you're willing to take it on because I know for sure I'll, I'll certainly not be able to do this on my own. Like we need normal people, all of us working this out together. Is that that was what Jesus said was in the plural? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth.